and welcome back to Paleo Party. We're in between seasons here, but while we're busy behind the scenes, we've put together some little bite-sized episodes to keep the party going. In these Paleo Party shorts, we'll be chatting to an amazing group of fossilologists and asking them to tell us a little bit about their favourite fossils. We have an amazing selection of ancient beasts that we're going to be talking about, and most of them are really obscure. So make sure you head over to our website, www.paleoparty.weebly.com, where you can find out lots of information and even photos of the critters that we're going to be chatting about. Anywho, let's get this party started and meet today's guest. Hey, I'm Nick Crumpton, a lapsed paleontologist um, and now writer of children's books and consultant for publishing companies who write books for children about dinosaurs and prehistoric life and animals alive today. Anything, anything to do with animals. I'll... (laughs) talk to publishers about <laughs> the first question is what's your favorite fossil what have you chosen to talk to us about see this was really hard to pick what's my favorite fossil because obviously how how do you pick that um and so i thought back and i thought personally what's a fossil that had an enormous impact on me when i saw it and was taught about it and i thought okay if i was going to pick something from when i was like five or six years old obvs it would be a dinosaur um maybe when i was a little bit later on a mammal of some description because that's then what i did my phd research on but i realized that a lot of what i became interested in came back towards one fossil it was it was all centered around one fossil uh called charavipteryx uh one one taxon called charavipteryx which i was introduced to by um a, a rather eccentric lecturer at uh, university of leeds when i was an undergrad and um he's called jeremy rayner um he looked a, a little like um toad of toad hall uh, apologies if he's listening to this um and <laughs> um he did an extraordinary job at basically introducing this this complete weirdo and it just switched a few switches in my head and made me start thinking about diversity of mesozoic creatures and uh, basically expanding things way outwards for me uh, from from dinosaurs and mammals and the the other usual creatures that you get taught about for those people who don't know what this organism is can you describe what it looks like and like where it lived and when it lived yeah, 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 sure. So um, if we start uh, thinking about where it lived. So so this thing was found in Kyrgyzstan. Um, so, so back when it was Soviet Kyrgyzstan, uh, back in the 1960s. Um, so it's so an amazing time, but Kyrgyzstan probably wasn't listening to a lot of incredible music back then because it was, it, was, it was very it was sort of behind the um, uh, Soviet curtain. Um, and back in the Triassic period, which is when Sharavipteryx was around, um, it looked very, very different. So where it was found when it was discovered in the 1960s was obviously a, a very beautiful um, sort of sweeping Fagana Valley, uh, this, this, this incredible, um, uh, beautiful vista. Um, in the late Triassic, it looked very different. Um, so there were no flowering plants. Um, this is when Pangaea was still roaming all over the world. Um, so, so most of Pangaea was extremely dry, but this area um, was, it looks like it might've been a bit of a river delta, some sort of wet area anyway, and um, would have been a bit foresty. So, so kind of, you know, towering cycads and ginkgos and, and ferns, um, but nothing, nothing flowering as it were. I, I guess to describe what it looked like, um, so to look at it on this slab, um, it looks a little bit like a lizard, I suppose. So it's around about the size of a blackbird. And if you imagine 
you're looking at a lizard from like you know um, uh, the the dorsal view. You're looking you're looking down at it, and it's got its legs splayed out to the sides. Um, it's got a lovely long tail. It's got a um, a tiny little skinny skull. It's got quite small forelimbs, but it's got absolutely enormous hind limbs, like really enormous hind limbs, really long, lanky legs. And at the time, uh, people obviously thought, well, this is weird, <laughs> um, and thought perhaps this thing uh, lived in kind of like an arboreal habitat. And this kind of goes along with, with the area that it was in being potentially a kind of um, a forested um, uh, um, area quite close to to. to um, um, a river or, or something so, so, so perhaps something a, a little bit like a, a, a mangrove swamp today or something but obviously with very different plants um, and we think that it was a proterosaurid so this is something a little bit closer to, to archosaurs than lizards and snakes so, so it looked a lot like a lizard but with very very long legs um, but it wasn't closely related to lizards at all lizards and snakes so, so, so it's a bit of a funky weirdo why is this creature scientifically interesting? Okay, so it was discovered in 1965, I think, by um, Alexander Sharov. Um, so Sharov initially called it um, Podopteryx. Um, and Podopteryx means, means foot wing. Um, so this name had to be changed a little bit later because uh, there was already a, a massive damselfly that lives in Indonesia that was called Podopteryx. And obviously things you know, keep their first name, so it couldn't be called the same thing. So it was later renamed Sharoviptrix. So that means Sharob's, um, Sharob's wing um, or, or Sharoviptrix mirabilis. So, so his incredible wing. Um, and that's because of what they discovered when they started looking at the hind legs uh, in more detail when it was being prepared. So not only are these hind legs very long, but it seems like there was a, a patagium that was attached to these hind limbs. So the patagium is uh, a great word for um, a big flap of skin, basically skin that is connecting two parts of the body. So there are lots of patagiums around today in animals. If you think of um, uh, flying squirrels, for instance, you know, they, they, they jump off trees and they stretch out their forelimbs and their hind limbs. And in between their fore and hind limbs, they have some skin that's stretched out. That's a patagium. And um, patagiums are great. They kind of work as um, um, aerofoils or parachutes, and they allow animals to, to catch the air as they're flinging themselves from uh, one tree to another. So, so this is cool. You know, this is a late Triassic animal that had evolved a patagium and it could glide possibly uh, from from one tree to another. So that's neat. Um, and at, you know, with, within this um, uh, Madigan formation, there were also some some oddballs with like weird, like like strange reptiles with strange um, kind of uh, elements that were coming out of their spines. You know, there, there, there were some real freaks there, but nothing quite so weird as this dude so so it's an enigmatic taxa we don't know too much um about you know what it was related to too much about how it lived uh because we only have one specimen so so this this you know hunk of rock with with this beautiful thing in it was found in 1965 it was named in the 70s and that's all we have for it so we don't have any more specimens what's really annoying is that um, during preparation, its forelimbs were prepared a little bit too much. So we don't know whether it had a patagium around its forelimbs, its, its little skinny um, forearms too. But that hind limb patagium is really important and peculiar because nothing that we know that has lived 
since or is alive today has anything like that. Nothing flies or glides like Sharaviptrix potentially could have. Uh, oh, what's the past tense of glide? Of, of glide? Glowed? Glided? Glided? <laughs> I've <have> no <laughs> idea. Retreat, retreat. I hate, okay, I'm going to say glowed. It sounds better. Um, so this thing... Um, to me, really uh, was exciting because it mm, kind of showed how um, in the Triassic period there were things that, I mean, there was this extraordinary diversity of forms that hadn't been known about before the 60s, so so that was exciting, um, but also that it showed that, that we still know so little about so much diversity in the past, so we still aren't sure how Sharaviptrix could glide. There have been some incredible studies, some really beautiful um, biomechanic studies um, looking at um, lift to drag ratios of, of how this creature could have glided from tree to tree. Um, and what's really striking is that under some circumstances, how it was holding its its legs outwards um, could actually have, have glided faster and at a shallower angle than pretty much any gliding animal we know about today. So that's, you know, everything from um, uh, sugar gliders to Kalugos flying lizards, you know, these 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 amazing creatures that kind of hold out Tadium, like, like Draco um, in, in Asia. Um, it looks like it was more efficient, potentially, at gliding than anything we know about today. That's with us thinking that maybe it held its forearms outwards with a little bit of a patagium coming off them. So when it has a bit of a bit of skin coming off its forelimbs, um, it's a really efficient glider. Um, but obviously we, we don't know if that's what it really looked like because we only have this one specimen. So it's frustrating. Um, to me, it kind of sums up in the way that paleontology is so much about inference and us trying to fill in these um, gappy jigsaw puzzles and trying to think what could this thing have actually been like when we can never know based on just this one specimen exactly how it could have lived. So it's a really nice puzzle and it kind of, you know, showcases kind of like what paleontology is all about, especially in the, the papers, the research that happened in the, in the, the kind of early 2000s on it really used some really nice aeronautic techniques to work out how this thing could have flown. I think what really struck me when uh, Professor Rayner first first showed us this image of Sharaviptrix um, was that it couldn't have glided like anything alive today because nothing alive today has extended back limbs with a really long sort of triangular patagium. And that twinned with maybe it holding out its, its forelimbs in what in aeronautics you'd call a canard, so something which is sort of a, a, a very small set of wings right at the front um, of, of an airplane or something, which kind of stabilizes it in flight. Um, to all intents and purposes, what we're looking at was an animal that had a delta wing um, formation of, of how it could have flown. Now, this is something that, that we find in very, very fast fighter jets that humans design today. Um, so, so delta wings are, um, are used an awful lot in, um, you know, high, gosh, high, high, very fast flying missiles and stuff. And that canard at the front can, can help um, control pitch. Um, so to think that there is we have evidence that a weird reptile that looked like a lizard but wasn't a lizard um, back in the late Triassic period was potentially gliding around like a delta wing aircraft that would be designed by humans in the 20th century um, is just stunning and a beautiful example um, of convergent evolution, but also how 
uh, humans have kind of come up with the same way of solving problems that natural selection came up with completely yeah. on its own. I think it's beautiful. Isn't There's it? so yeah. much about this fossil that is just remarkable. It's super yeah. weird. <laughs> it, it really is. And it's just, I think that it, um, you know, these enigmatic fossils, you know, enigmatic taxon, these these things that, that aren't really anything like anything else are, are so tantalizing because we know that the chance of being fossilized is so brain meltingly small um especially for this thing which was probably flying around you know it was very unusual for it probably to fall and get fossilized in a slightly wet environment um and it just makes you think you know how many countless other species um you know we can't even imagine what they looked like i mean no one would have realistically thought okay a gliding animal in the triassic period oh yeah let's it's it's let's let's think about having a big triangular patagium at the back and it, and, and it glides a bit like a, a a delta wing aircraft um i mean that's that would be ludicrous and yet we have evidence to show that actually this was a living breathing animal that was doing its thing uh back in these sort of cycad swamps and forests and we know that, you know, way, way later on, like in the Jurassic period, the mammals caught up with this and there were um, mammals like uh, Velitocatherium, which was sort of convergent on uh, sugar gliders today. You know, and that was extraordinary enough. But to think that this was so many million years before and to think that this adaptation to our knowledge wasn't then seen again. Um, no matter throughout all the experiments of natural selection um i think is just um spellbinding i think it's an amazing uh find and every time i look at it i'm just it just really gets my uh thoughts going about you know what on earth was alive during the incredible history of life on earth that we just can't even imagine yeah. and this is a vertebrate for pete's sake you know i mean don't even get me started about like what invertebrates get up to yeah exactly <laughs> I think the funniest thing about this is for me is when I first saw this fossil or when I first saw a reconstruction of it, I just thought that you could literally put that into Avatar and people <laughs> wouldn't even batter an eyelid. They'd just be like, oh, yeah, it's a weird alien reptile thing. But actually, it's like it's actually something that existed on Earth. Yeah. I bet you any money if you had it in Avatar, people were like, man, that's not really realistic. <laughs> sure, yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, the more people know about these and the more I think people get an idea of like what actually natural selection can 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 come up with mm. i think you know convergent evolution was was what i i worked on as my phd so i kind of like although i was working on on mammals um it was still really cool to have fossils like this in 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 the back of my mind and, and just from a personal point of view as well it was this fossil that then made me get so interested in um uh biomechanics and in in my undergrad although i then didn't carry on with this research you know i, I then sort of made um little scale models of of, of micro raptor and, and put these in uh, wind tunnels and it was so cool you know based on trying to work out how these oddballs from from the mesozoic could actually you know how they were experimenting with flight because you know you say that you know birds we we imagine you know do do glide and fly in a very different way you know with these long sort of aerofoils that stick on uh, um, either side of their uh, uh, forewings but but we know that there were experiments back in the mesozoic period with 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 birds as well we know that microraptor um had asymmetrical uh so so you know glide ready um feathers on their their hind limbs as well so so there's a question of, of did it fly almost you know like like a biplane kind of holding its legs in a way that it would hold those hind wings as it were in a way that would that would uh, um 
sort of increase the amount of, of lift that was being generated or did it fly in a more sort of um, a parachuting way just like holding its limbs out backwards and it was a sort of pre-adaptation that just happened to have asymmetrical feathers on its on its hind limbs you know there are still so many questions and there's so many different kinds of technology that we can use to try and answer these these really big uh you know head scratches mm. i think we need to go back to kazakhstan and find some more that's what that's what needs to happen Yes, we do. And anyone can do it. You know, Sharov, you know, when he went out, he was he was a um, he, he worked on pterosaurs and and arthropods. You know, he wasn't a kind of, you know, expert on weird, you know, proterosaurs. Um, so. So, yeah, anyone just go out, you know, that would be great. Do some more digging. Since recording this podcast, Nick has a new book out called Everything You Know About Dinosaurs Is Wrong. It's full of super interesting facts and beautiful illustrations and is available at all good bookstores and online retailers right now. Big thank you to our guest this week and stay tuned as there are more Paleo Party shorts on the way. Remember, you can find details about the fossil on our website at www.paleoparty.weebly.com. Paleo Party is an interactive podcast created by Thomas Clements, Christopher Dean and Emma Dunn. This series of Paleo Party Shorts is sponsored by a Paleontological Society Outreach and Education Grant. Our intro music is Voxel Revolution by Kevin McLeod.